the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. Thank you, sir. And at 5 after the hour of 5 o'clock, how are you? Great to have you on board for another edition of Lifeline here in the stead each Monday through Friday from 5 until 7 p.m. addressing issues that impact your life and your world. We're going to do more of that today. Pretty jam-packed program for you. We'll keep you abreast of what's going on traffic-wise out there under the new normal. And uh, we've got reports for you from the KFAX Traffic Center every 10 minutes through the next couple of hours here. So we promise to get you home safe and sound and hopefully in the process um, amuse you, uh, maybe entertain, most importantly, hopefully inform and challenge you, which is a big part of what we do on this program each and every day. The current debate in the body politic, which of course is running the gambit of everything from the impact of COVID-19, what that means for not just the future of America, but certainly even the future of the planet in light of the impact of this global pandemic. And then of course, along with it, injustices that have been kind of running parallel in relationship to uh, police brutality, all the debate surrounding that, and that sort of spills over into the broader topics of things like um, fairness and an equal playing field and issues related to social justice, economic justice in our nation. And to be sure, Experts have debated many of these topics for decades, and they will undoubtedly do so for decades to come. But from the Christian perspective, our job ought to be not to necessarily opine on such matters in a vacuum, but rather to discuss and debate in the light of Scripture and the light that Scripture provides to us in understanding what these issues are in the context of God's opinion on them, and how we as Christians ought to therefore be engaged. If you look at the broader topic, for example, of, of economic fair play, there's much debate about the one percenters in the country and how many are getting wealthy and the shrinking of the middle class and things of this sort. If you talk to some Christians, you'll probably conclude that there are two basic fundamental takes or opinions on on Jesus. Essentially two versions. There's the word of faith Jesus, all about seed faith giving, thousand and one hundred fold returns on what you quote unquote invest in the kingdom and all the wealth that you can successfully gather no matter what. The focus there is on the accumulation of stuff. Then there seems to be sort of the, the opposite end of the continuum a companion to word of faith Jesus, and that's leftist Jesus. He's the one that goes about in sackcloth and eschews all money, 
rendering to Caesar what is Caesar's and where poverty is not something that you work to avoid, but rather something you achieve, in spite of this, of course, being a relatively low-effort task. Well, the end, of course, often is the sense the truth is somewhere in between. There are lessons that we can derive from Scripture. I know certainly at some point in our conversation, if we don't discuss it, you'll certainly think about Matthew 19 and 24, the um, the parable related to the rich man that essentially says that it is much harder for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven than for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle. In fact, might some say darn impossible based on that summary. And yet, is the presence of money in your life the blind spot for you, the log in your eye, or is the problem perhaps the relationship with money? And how do we put this modern currency into the historic scriptures to come up with practical answers and understanding for living today? Well, to help make some of that process a bit easier, Jerry Bauer has taken the time to write a book called the Maker versus the Takers, what Jesus really said about social justice and economics. Jerry, of course, is a financial economist, author, journalist, publisher of Affluent Investor Daily, and Jerry, is always great to have you on the program. It's always great to be with you as well, my friend. Boy, you uh, you know you don't you don't like to t- tackle the easy ones, do you? I mean, you you running the gambit from everything from uh, you know the the actions of the Fed, the supply side economics, to now trying to really gain a better understanding on some such complicated topics, certainly for these days, as economics and social justice. So you you like a bit of a difficult task, don't you? <laughs> yeah, I, I seem to be drawn um, almost obsessively sometimes to complex questions. It just gets at me that uh, I really want to know the truth, um, because a lot of times people take positions based on what kind of tribe they're in or what feels good. I think sometimes, you know, I've heard preachers say, you know, oh, that, you know, that'll preach. So they like to talk about ideas that will, like, gain a following out there that people will be interested in. But since I'm a Christian first, but I'm also an economist, I'm a Christian, so I read the Bible, including the Gospels, but I can't stop being an economist when I do that. I can't turn that off. I can't, like, unlearn uh, what I know about economics. I kept seeing Jesus seemingly interacting um, and talking about things in a way that there was an economic dimension to, and I just got it in me, and I, I think it's the Holy Spirit, that... I really wanted to know what Jesus thought about economics. Now, I was already an economist. I was already a free market economist. I already had a point of view. But I really, so I didn't go looking through the Gospels to prove my point of view. I have other people, I have friends who've done that. There are books where people are free market economists, and they go and they kind of proof text where Jesus says something here, he says something there to try to make the, you know, the, the argument that Jesus was a capitalist, that Jesus wasn't a socialist. Um, and their argument is sort of like, well, we know socialism is bad, so Jesus must have not been a socialist. And I just thought, that's not good enough. I want to really hear what Jesus is saying. Wherever he leads, that's where I want to follow. So what I started to do is I, I, I really threw myself into the economic archaeology of the uh, Holy Land. 
um, in the past 30 or 40 years, almost most of the biblical archaeology that's been done has been done in our generation. A hundred years ago, people weren't doing it. Two hundred years ago, there was no such thing, really. So almost everything that we know outside of the Gospels and a few writers like Josephus about Galilee, for example, we've learned in the past 30 or 40 years. And what that's done is that has shed enormous light on what's going on at the economic level, on, on Jesus as an, as an acute observer, not just of men's hearts and souls, but of the, of the economic and political scene as well. And so we have to, you know, now that we have a lot more historical context, we're, we're, enabled to, we're able to put a lot more light on the Gospels and understand at a deeper level what's going on there. And I think that's both a fascinating and an extremely important approach that you're taking, Jerry, because on this topic, and, and not unlike so many others, uh, we tend sometimes, I think, as believers to wish to um, um, exegese simply Scripture that relates to Jesus helping us to be better, to point our way toward heaven, and so much of it all focused on being, uh, you know, heaven-bound and, and, and therefore not much at all paid attention to where we're at here today. And yet, Jesus being both man and God uh, was also smart enough to know that, yes, we need to occupy until his return and be about the master's business. And while heaven may be our destination, this spinning sphere here is our temporary home, and we need to know how to get along in it over the course of the 30, 60, 90 years, whatever we might be blessed with, in which we're going to occupy it. He cares. He cares about it. Yes, of course he cares about our eternal soul, but he also cares about our life on earth, which is why he did good things for people. And I think we have really failed to see, again, I don't blame past generations of theologians. There's a lot we didn't know. I mean, but, you know, before we get the Dead Sea Scrolls, you know, what's going on in what's called Second Temple Judaism? Um, the, that's the environment in which Jesus is interacting. We knew almost nothing about that. Now we know loads and loads and loads about it. And it's perfectly clear that Jesus was not just trying to save the souls, but he was also pointing the way to save the nation. That he saw that there were economic and geopolitical forces in play, and that Jerusalem, that's why he wept over Jerusalem, um, because he knew it was going to be destroyed, because he knew the course it was taking, which included economic exploitation. Um, there's other things going on, but in this book I focus on the economic exploitation. He knew that that economic exploitation was going to lead ultimately to a disastrous collapse and the destruction of that city. He even warned about that. On the way to the cross, what did he, and the women were weeping and crying, and he said, don't weep for me. Weep for yourselves and weep for your children, because if this is what happens when the wood is wet, what will happen when the wood is dry? That's not about, you know, their the children going to heaven or hell. Obviously, that's important, but that's about what's going to happen to the city of Jerusalem, the province of Judea, the nation of Israel. It was wiped off the face of the earth because they didn't follow his teachings. Um, so not only were there eternal souls, um, you know, kind of at peril, and not only was he pointing the right way to save their souls, but he was also pointing the right way to save their nation, to save their skins. Yeah, I think we need to be mindful that, while to be sure, eternal judgment is one that we need to be very mindful. That needs to be priority number one 
Uh, but there's that sense of temporal judgment as well, that sense of the consequences to our actions that can occur in the here and now. And it runs the gambit of doing foolish things, which have foolish consequences, to even it goes in as far as to offend God in such a way that he chooses to withdraw his hand of blessing and essentially let us fend for ourselves and face the consequences, which historically have generally proven to be uh, fairly disastrous for mankind. We're visiting today with financial economist, best-selling author, journalist Jerry Boyer. Jerry has written a new book called The Maker Versus the Takers, What Jesus Really Said About Social Justice and Economics. A timely topic for our times, one that is greatly debated, if not directly, certainly around the periphery in virtually every important conversation we have these days, rightfully so. The important thing, and we'll get to this after the break, the important thing is to take the lessons that we extrapolate out of Scripture, not to prove tests, as uh, Jerry mentioned a moment ago, uh, but rather to take the text in its context and understand what it means in application in our lives today. Let's uh, dive a little bit deeper, shall we? We'll take a brief time out, get you updated on some traffic, and we'll come back with more of our conversation with Jerry Bauer in just a moment. Right now here on KFAX, time for a look at traffic. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Back to our conversation, best-selling author, the author, economist Jerry Boyer with us today. We're talking about his latest book, The Maker Versus the Takers, What Jesus Really Said About Social Justice and Economics. And I think it's a fascinating study, Jerry, because, you know, historically, and especially as we're kind of national, nationally engaged in this debate over parity and fairness and, and economic balance and so on and so forth, there, there almost seems to be two camps. There's either the Jesus who's a capitalist or the Jesus who's a socialist with Marxist leanings. And, and we tend to kind of, I think, pigeonhole so that we can label and conclude as opposed to doing what we really should be doing, and that is studying that we can therefore understand and apply. And I guess at the end of the day, it's almost easy to to engage in some of this proof texting as we talked about before the break so that you can use certain scriptures out of context to prove your point as to what you think Jesus was or wasn't based on the narrative that you're trying to promote. Yes, um, and you know the best thing to do is to let Jesus speak for himself. Um, and I think the most tempting thing for us to do is for us to take our best thinking and try to hang it on Jesus. Um, and that's the, that's the snare that we fall into. Um, we fall into that snare because it feels good and also because it's easy. It's hard to carefully read the gospel text. It's, it's hard to go through the text in the original languages. It's hard to read about the archaeology of Bethsaida and Capernaum and Bethany and Nazareth and Sepphoris um, and Samaria and the Decapolis um, and Jerusalem and understand the differences. But really, if, if you were telling me a story about a conversation that you had with somebody, um, you, you know, you went to New York City and you met somebody who got out of a limousine and you were on Wall Street and he had on a $4,000 suit and you were talking to him about 
um, you know, the balance in his account and, you know, trading, you know, things for one another, you wouldn't need to tell me that that man worked in finance. I'd know that already because we have that context. Or where you are, right, you know, um, in Northern California, say someone in Silicon Valley, they're wearing a T-shirt, uh, but they live in a mansion, um, they drive a Prius, that person works in technology. I live in Pittsburgh. If I tell you a story about a guy with a, you know, who's wearing a blue-collar shirt and he's carrying a lunch bucket um, and he's walking to work, you know that he works in a factory and it probably has something to do with steel. Houston, oil. see, we know all that stuff. But we don't know Capernaum, Bethsaida, Bethlehem, Judea. We, we don't automatically know that stuff. But Jesus did. He was aware of where he was. And what you find is if you take the gospel accounts and read them and follow the directional stuff, the language that we usually skim over, Jesus went from this Bible-y-sounding town to this other Bible-y-sounding town, and then he left that and went down into this Bible-y-sounding province. We just skim over that stuff. But Jesus wasn't skimming over. He knew where he was. So when he, what, what you do is if you take the Gospels and follow his travels, like make a map, and then you overlay that with the archaeology and the ancient sources, the original sources, what we, what we see is an overwhelming pattern in which Jesus speaks differently about economics depending on where he is geographically. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of little details to this, but let me just give you sort of the one big fact. When Jesus is in Galilee, which is his home province, which is a largely lower-tax, higher-growth, entrepreneurial, decentralized economy, he never once confronts anybody about wealth. And it's not that he didn't know wealthy people or they weren't around. Nazareth was just within commute distances, basically an exurb of Sepphoris, which was the financial, financial center of Galilee at certain points. They had banks there. They have mansions. We've un- in the past 30 years, we've dug up the mansions that Jesus grew up around, but he never once criticizes wealth. He never once says to anyone there in the Gospels, take, you know, take your wealth, sell it, and give it to the poor. Every single confrontation he has about wealth in the, in the Gospels, it's when he is in Judea, where instead of having small business entrepreneurs and a decentralized economy and a strong private property tradition, instead, when he gets close to Jerusalem, where you have a system that is run essentially on cronyism, where wealth was essentially extracted from other people, rather than like his farmer friends up in Nazareth extracted from the ground, um, then he starts turning up the rhetoric, starting off with immediately when he goes into Judea, he has a confrontation with the rich young what? The rich young entrepreneur, the rich young trader, the rich young farmer, no, the rich young ruler, archon in the Greek. So the first confrontation he has over wealth does not occur until he goes to Judea, and it is with somebody who is a man of the state, who is politically connected, who's from a class that we know historically essentially made its living from connections, pull, favoritism. You know, we, know, we have this phrase, crony capitalism, sort of like that. Uh, we also have this other phrase, deep state. Uh, these are the people with whom he is having economic confrontations. Every, this, this pattern it holds every time over and over again. There are no exceptions. And it's fascinating because and oftentimes our, our, comp, our, our very sim, simplistic approach 
to all of this? You know, we usually distill it down into, depending upon your 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 particular uh, political and economic persuasion, either money good, poor bad, or poor yeah. good, money bad, as if it's either or. And yet, the way I read scripture, and correct me if if your research and study work, Jerry suggests anything different, but but it seems to me, Christ big concern when it came to money wasn't that it existed or didn't exist. And I'm sure if the apostles found the necessity to even have a treasurer, that that they must have at some level recognized the need of this tool in order to quote-unquote get along. But it would seem to me at the core what, what Christ is really concerned about is I think you're suggesting in relationship to how the message changes up a little bit depending upon the circumstances, the context, where he's speaking, to whom he's speaking, etc., that it really comes down to more of a concern about our relationship with money, what we do with it, and most importantly, what we allow it to do with us. Is that, is that generally true? I, I, I think that's true, um, and that's something that a lot of people have talked about, which is that money can kind of take over, and there, Jesus warns about the deceitfulness of riches. Um, and I don't disagree with any of that. That's clearly a biblical theme. But since that's been covered really well by my friend Ron Blue and Larry Burkett and others, um, I decided to look at a slightly different question, which is Jesus as prophet, more than Jesus as evangelist. And in the Old Testament prophets, they are denouncing um, wickedness at the social level, not just the individual level. Prophets are addressing nations and their practices. So I'm, I'm looking at Jesus as prophet, and, and so the distinction that I'm making, you're making a perfectly uh, legitimate distinction. You know, do we own the money or does the mon- money own us, right? Um, and Jesus is definitely breaking that hold. But I think there's something else going on that we haven't seen up until now because we didn't have the information, which is that Jesus is making a strong distinction based on how you made it. Did you make something or did you take something? And Jesus has a very different attitude. You do not have to repent of wealth that you created. Now, you might have to repent of greed, but you don't have to repent of going out there and making something, building something, trading something. But you have to repent of money that you took from somebody using force or fraud or manipulation. Um, so I, there's, that, there's that social dimension that I think that we've missed, and we've kind of... We you know, we brought it down to a heart level. And you got to get the heart right first. So I don't have any problem with the fact that previous generations have really focused on what's money doing in your heart. But I also think, to some degree, we've lost millennials because they have a social justice sense, and we didn't give them Jesus' version of social justice, leaving a vacuum so that, the, so that Marx's version of social justice could come in and fill that vacuum. And I think um, what I've seen in talking to millennials is once they get in touch with a Jesus who is socially outraged by the manipulation and extraction and, and exploitation of the poor and middle class by the ruling class, they really resonate with that Jesus, and, and it almost inoculates them against the false version of that, which is socialism. And what's fascinating about that take in this case Jerry, is the fact that that does not therefore conclude that Jesus was a socialist. In fact, just the opposite. It suggests that he was, exactly, it suggests that he was very interested in how you obtained the money, 
by either legitimate or ill-gotten gain, and what you did okay. with that money once you obtained it. And and it, it, it takes on, therefore, a, a very fascinating, albeit subtle, but, but fascinating, different dynamic, different understanding to not just our relationship with money, but in this example, Christ's relationship with money and what he's really trying to show us and teach us. We're going to get yeah. into this a little bit deeper. Let's uh, take a time out. We're going to come back with more. Our visit today with best-selling author, economist, Jerry Bowyer. Jerry, by the way, is the publisher of Affluent Investor Daily. Information available on the web at affluentinvestor.com. That's Affluent investor.com. Let's take this time out and we'll get you updated on some traffic. When we come back, let's fold in what potential key lessons might be there for us in something as simple as the parable of the talents. As our conversation continues right now, though, let's converse on the topic of traffic. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Jerry Boyer is with us today, financial economist. He, of course, also a best-selling author and journalist, publisher of Affluent Investor Daily, and his new book, The Maker Versus the Takers, What Jesus Really Said About Social Justice and Economics. This is taking that look at Scripture that keeps it in context. Who's doing the writing? to whom is being written, what are the circumstances under which the letter is being written, what is the, uh, the architectural, um, archaeological rather, uh, setting uh, of, of recent study in science that can help to illuminate our understanding. Let me give you an example. Oftentimes, Jerry, if we read something like the parable of the talents from Matthew 25, we conclude, well, the big lesson there is that the master can be mean and greedy. <laughs> and maybe in the most basic uh, application that might be so. But, but the deeper lessons, that we're not all created with the same skills and abilities, but the same token, success takes place only when we take action and that when we do that work, we should be aiming our efforts toward God and not our own pleasure or our own agenda, and that God always gives us everything we need to do with what he has called us to do, and ultimately that will be held accountable. Right. Much more rich information when you take that approach than just the simplistic, boy, the master's pretty mean and greedy. <laughs> yeah, and keep in mind in the um in the in the gospel account of this, the parable of the talents, which character um takes the point of view that the master is mean and greedy? It is the it's the unfaithful servant, it's the unfaithful steward. Uh he's not the good guy in the story, right? That's right. So I mean it's really interesting, um you know, because a lot of academic theologians, some of them are friends of mine, more in the liberal tradition, like Richard Horsley or um, Dom Crossan, have tried to argue that Jesus was leading some kind of peasant revolt, some kind of uprising of the poor against the landowners. Um, now, they started writing this stuff in the 1970s. There's an excuse then, because that's before we started digging up and finding out that you know, the area that Jesus grew up in was not a, a place, it, you know, it was not Appalachia, it wasn't hillbillies, it wasn't the ghetto. Uh, it was essentially, it, by the standards of the time, middle class and upwardly mobile communities. 
These were booming. These were, these, they were on the way up, and it was small business people. So it's unlikely that Jesus would have been leading a peasant re- re- revolt, but even more unlikely that if he were leading a peasant revolt, that he would go around telling stories about business and investment, and in every case, the business owner is the good guy. And the bad guys are stewards or workers who are not faithful. That is, that's not the kind of story that you're telling if you want to get people to grab the pitchforks and uh, burn down the, the Hall of Public Records uh, and have a massive land redistribution or something like that. This is not a Sandinista, this is not a Che Guevara or a Fidel Castro Jesus. And I think the parable of Talmud is just one of the many parables in which he writes from the point of view of the owner, because he is the owner, right? He's God incarnate. This is a story about God in Israel. God has entrusted, you know, Paul says, the very oracles of God. Israel has been entrusted. Their leaders have been entrusted. Instead of being faithful stewards of what they're given by God, they're unfaithful stewards, and God's coming to collect. Um, and he's going to, there's going to be a change now. My son is going to be the heir, and he's going to be faithful to my covenant. Um, so this is... Now, now, how did Jesus know about this stuff? This is something that's perplexed people, because Jesus is supposed to be a country bumpkin. Well, now we know that Jesus, um, Jesus grew up, I, I mentioned, outside of Sepphoris, which was a financial center. Um, Joseph and Jesus were skilled artisans, um, carpentry, but also some stonemasonry. Um, there was a building boom while Jesus was a young man that was right next door. Uh, we like to think of Jesus as basically like fixing plows and doors. There weren't enough plows and doors to keep Jesus and Joseph busy, you know, in a, in a town the size of Nazareth. What these, what these um, artisans did is they traveled around to where the building booms were. So it's inconceivable that two hours walk away from their village, they would not have taken place in the greatest building boom of their time. Which means Jesus would have been around this stuff. He would have been around Greek architects, Roman supervisors. He would have learned many languages. He would have learned about finance. This Finance was kind of a new thing coming into the Middle East, investments, markets. He knew this stuff. He was sophisticated. He was cosmopolitan. He was humble. But he wasn't stupid, and he wasn't backwards. And so that's why when you read his parables and you compare them to the archaeological records, when he tells a story about the unfaithful steward and and he's writing off this amount of barley or this amount of olive oil, the numbers ring true. He's writing business case studies that are actually accurate to reality. And we need to reconcile ourselves with the Jesus who read the newspapers, you know, a Jesus who was on top of current events, not just on top of eternity, but also on top of current events, and giving commentary on that, along with giving commentary about eternity. Deeper understanding of Scripture that is so critically important for not just that public debate, but but certainly application in our lives for the impact of the world around us today, in light of all that we're discussing related to social justice and economics in America. The book is called The Maker Versus the Takers, What Jesus Really Said About Social Justice and Economics. Newly published by Fidelis Books, available at bookstores around the Bay Area, Amazon.com, and of course more information available about Jerry's work online at AffluentInvestor.com. That's AffluentInvestor.com. The Maker Versus the Takers, What Jesus Really Said About Social Justice 
and economics. It's author, our guest in this segment of Lifeline, Jerry Bauer. Jerry, as always, great to have you with us. 5.44 on the clock. Let's get you an update on traffic. And now back to Lifeline.